Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Friends, let's uh, turn our uh, to our Bibles, Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. We're in the twenty-first chapter, the last week of Jesus' earthly life, earthly ministry, and uh, things are coming to a very a very crisp conclusion here. There's a lot of focus on material that needs to be uh, that needs to be concluded that Jesus has to say uh, to his nation. And in saying it to his nation, he says it to us as well. Uh, we have really got to understand uh, why Jesus is giving so much emphasis uh, to what he is saying in this passage and uh, in related passages. So the text will be the 21st chapter of Matthew and verses 33 through 46. Hear now the word of our God. Jesus said, Hear another parable. Now, there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to keep to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. And finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And this was marvelous, was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in his eyes, in our eyes. Lord, let me read that passage again. The stone which the builders re rejected has become the, the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. That's why I'm reading God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, uh, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you. By God's grace, it'll be preached. Please have a seat. You children, you know in your histories, you... You've probably learned uh, about the fall of Rome, uh, the Caesars, that empire. And as you read the history of that place, it's many centuries of its ascent and its importance in the world, the dominion that it has, uh, all the peace that it provided even in our own Lord's day, the Pax Romana, you may consider, well, what, what were the reasons why Rome fell. And there's various theories, of course. It's probably not just one thing or two things. 
but there's a, a whole constellation of things. Uh, some say it was the rise of, of the uh, barbarian nations. They grew populated, they grew populous, and they grew strong, and they, they were warriors. And, uh, and not only that, but when they met a, a civilized people that were very organized militarily, but were given to sensuality. And uh, a sensual population is not given to a Spartan-like uh, hold in, in their ways. And so they grew soft with, with uh, much eating, much drinking, much pleasure-seeking. And then there's always a, uh, a theory that uh, the declension and the decline and the, the final destruction of Rome was caused by, by the lead and the, the drinking cups, the lead poisoning and affected the nervous systems. They, they just weren't able to think right, and uh, that, was their, that was their end. Rome was a magnificent city. We ought to know about these things. Israel was the most important nation in the world from the time uh, that Abraham was called out of the city of Ur of the Chaldeans to the time that the Lord uh, accomplished his mission there and the destruction of the temple. It holds a prominent place. And of course, that was the promise of Exodus 19, that uh, Israel would be exalted as a nation, a holy nation, a, a nation of priests, and uh, a people uh, that is tender to God, the apple of his own eye. And so when we read of the demise of Israel, when we, when we read of the destruction that ensues at the hands of these Romans in AD 70, you wonder, what, what has happened? Can we give one or two uh, brief answers so that we might know? Because these were God's own covenanted people, and the covenant of God with his people was a very gracious covenant. Uh, he was their shepherd king looking for him protecting them from far more powerful enemies. So, so what happened here? Well, the, the genius of this parable is that in very short strokes, the Lord Jesus gives the leaders the answer to what has happened and what will invariably happen to Israel. Why has the Lord forsaken his vineyard, and given it to another people. These are hard things for the leaders, any leaders of any group, uh, to hear, especially those who are convinced that God is for us and who can be against us. And yet we have Jesus' teaching in the parable of the unjust tenants. The teaching here, I wish I could condense it, but there's just so much here. And I, I know there's a main point here. I want you to get the essence of the teaching because the parable is like, a, like an oiled nail. Uh, it, it goes in with one hammer blow, and it penetrates with one point. I wish I could do that, but I haven't quite been able to, to hone it down to that one point. But here's, here's what I have as far as the teaching. The teaching that Jesus has for us in this parable is that unfaithful Israel had long been unfruitful and rebellious and ignoring and, uh, God, uh, God's will and persecuting his prophets. And then finally, by rejecting God's son, Messiah, Israel will be cut off. Israel will be cut off as God's people, and the kingdom will be given to the nations with Messiah as head of the kingdom. And this arrangement in the vineyard will produce the fruit that God desires. Uh, you have it written down. I won't repeat it. I, I don't like to give such a narrative uh, 
a summary of a parable, but if you can do better, let me know, and maybe that's a good exercise for this afternoon for you. So Israel had been unfaithful. They had been uh, rejecting the will of God as carried to them by their prophets, not just once or twice, but perennially. And now the Lord has sent the prophet, and he, of course, being the heir of all things, you'd think, well, others were human. This one is divine. Perhaps they will hear him. But no, this one was that stone that was rejected. And in rejecting that stone, God exalted him to the head of all the building. And he is head over all today. Just three points in our sermon today. I hope to do this, par- this very, very important parable justice. But the first point is that Jesus foretold God's rejection of the Jewish nation. And he did so in a, peril, a parable. Uh, again, this had not happened. It's, it was about to happen, and uh, it would happen within a generation of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. But Jesus foretold God's rejection of the Jewish nation in a parable. God had appointed leaders. These are the tenants who were over the vineyard, and he was, they were to watch over a well-ordered nation. They had every advantage by ordinances and prop and law and promises. The gospel was with them uh, in ceremonial form. The gospel was pronounced prophetically by so many promises uh, by, by those messengers that went, that went to the vineyard and told the tenants. And he, it was a well-ordered vineyard, and God had appointed leaders to watch over Israel. This parable is mostly not about the nation as much as the, the watchmen, the leaders that God has set in place. Now, God is the master of this vineyard, and God is the master of the house, and this master had prepared, prepared his vineyard very handsomely. He's a great and majestic king, and he was very wise, wiser than Solomon. And of course, he's going to do well. And you can see by the first verses here in the parable that all was arranged. There was, no, there was nothing in it that would be unfit for the type of message and the type of life that God was requiring, the type of fruit that God wanted to uh, produce in his vineyard. God is not at fault when his church does not produce the fruit. A master then would expect, of course, some kind of return in his investment. Isn't this reasonable? The Bible is reasonable, and God is very, very reasonable. The return on investment, the parable calls fruit. The master then took leave for a time. Not that the God is dismissive of his people, but in the parable, it's just saying, Let's, uh, we're going to wait, and we're going to have, uh, over a passage of time, we're going to see how this vineyard does. It's just a matter of an expression, not that God leaves his creation as, as a deism. Um, God is the master of the house and the tenants, were the priests and the scribes, uh, and uh, later on we could get into the, the, the political organization uh, of Israel, but I'll forego that. Just think of them as the authorities that are, that are now really seeking to trap the Lord Jesus in his words. They're seeking to marginalize him as a, as a, as a, a verifiable teacher in Israel, and they're hoping even to trap him to the point of, of, of speaking blasphemy so they can kill him. Again, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Um, the, the tenants, the priests, the scribes, especially, were charged to instruct and govern God's people. And so God's word was given them as a, a stewardship. The church has absolutely no license to publish anything except what God reveals in his word and, of course, by good and necessary consequence. 
Uh, that is to say, for instance, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but uh, you can derive the doctrine of the Trinity by so many places that speak of Father, Son, Holy Spirit being one, one God, one essence, uh, equal in power and glory. And so we, by good and necessary uh, circumstances, but you know, the, the Lord's word is, has always been primi- uh, prim- took the primacy. And the, the keepers, the religious leaders, were to treasure that as stewards to keep that and to deliver it and teach it and deliver it uh, purely to the people. God's word then, by his blessing, was guaranteed by God to bear fruit. Uh, For instance, in Isaiah 55, my word will not return to me void. It'll be like the rains that come on the fruited uh, fields. And uh, it, it it produces the grain that is so healthful to the nation. It's promised to succeed. It will not fail for the purposes in which it was sent. But now we have to ask the question, why is it that this vineyard is not producing? All right? Why is it that this vineyard is not producing? The priests then as tenants uh, in, in Israel, in the vineyard, they were not inspired leaders, but they did have authority. They had position, and Jesus always... Uh, in uh, in speaking to the people, if they were leprous, they were cleansed. They, they showed themselves to the priests, as, as as Moses recommended. Okay, so they had an important position, and they were overseers, and they were elders, uh, and so the interpretation of the scriptures, uh, being not infallible, uh, they they could err, but then their own interpretation, Ezra's interpretations of the scriptures, he would read the. He would read the scriptures, and then Ezra would interpret the scriptures. These interpretations had Ill, held great influence over the people. They held great influence over the people. And this is, this is the issue with authority. And those who have authority in the home as fathers, authorities and teachers in the classrooms, authorities, uh, uh, authority uh, in the church as elders, especially even deacons as examples, we have to be very, very careful uh, because what we say and what we do will influence the church. And the problem, it's not come to a, a point of crisis here, is that the leaders are not only are they not impressed with Jesus, but they want to get rid of him. Uh, they want to silence him. They, uh, Jesus is embarrassing them. Jesus is correcting them. Jesus is rebuking them, and stridently so. And he's gaining the favor of the people. And this has got to stop, or the whole nation will... Will will go to him, and they'll be relieved of their leadership. Anyway, the priests as tenants were not inspired. They had authority, but they they had their their interpretation of scripture. Uh, but their authority was God given, and the tenants were not infallible. They were prone to error. They were prone to sin, and they did err, and they did err very, very, very badly here. In fact, they erred on an essential, and that is they they rejected that one stone that was so critical, the stone of the corner, as it says in the, in the Hebrew, upon which all other stones need to align for uh, a, a secure foundation and building. Now, God occasionally sent prophets expecting a return from his vineyard. The servants would appear according to the will of God, but most of the time, in the beginning of a venture, as with Moses, who laid the foundation, you know, was foundational. Uh, others uh, built, actually, on Moses. If you want to understand the Old Testament, it's basically a, a footnote to Moses. And even the New Testament, 
significantly continues to be margin notes to uh, Moses and all that he wrote in the first five books. But God occasionally would supplement his word, the, the foundational scriptures of Moses, by sending him prophets. Now these prophets, they developed the, the, the initial teaching. They added some refining as, as occasion, time, and place changed. That's called application, application of the, of the scriptures. And these servants uh, that, that are now visiting the vineyard and they're carrying the word of God. Now these were inspired. The tenants are not inspired, but the but but the the the, the workers of, that God sent the prophets they were inspired, and they were always calling the tenants back to Scripture. Thus saith the Lord, it is written, etc. That's what their only intent was. They had no other authority except to utter the word of God, and uh, what they were asking for mostly, if you want to uh, hear what their message is, is uh, basically repentance uh, back return from their own wicked ways, to return to the, to the Lord as promised in his word. The Lord is, promises to be their, their God and their, their, their king and their shepherd and, and the types of Christ in, in the ceremonies and on all the promises. It's all there. If they would believe, if they would have faith, if they would repent, and if they would uh, now walk humbly with their God. That was the consistent message of these messengers to the vineyard uh, spoken to primarily the leaders who were adrift. The leaders kept drifting. They, they, they could not secure a, a, steady, a steady line. They, they, could, they could not keep the vineyard in good order and so produce the fruit that God needed. Now God the master of the vineyard is acting justly in obtaining fruit from his, uh, from his land. Uh, and and the, the servants visiting the vineyard, they had authority to collect the fruit they were fruit inspectors. In fact, the, the very word uh, uh, for the Hebrew for an elder uh, or an overseer means one who visits or inspect. And that's the nature of church office. By the way, if you're an elder and you're considering, well, this sounds like a, one of the sermons that we're, that we're developing about uh, church leadership. If you want to count this as one of the three you're going to ask, it'd be fine. This is a sermon especially tailored to leaders in the church, to those who would assume office. The servants had authority from the master to collect that fruit. But these holy servants, they were repelled. They, they, it's not a matter of disagreeing here and there. It's that they, <laughs> it's that they had no, no interest in them. They grew, they grew weary of God's correction. They grew weary of God's instruction. They would take his words and throw them uh, behind their backs. And so what they did was, in their hatred, they beat some of them, and some of them they stoned. That's a, that's a capital, that, 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 that is done for capital offenses only, for, for, for large guilt. But they did that to God's innocent prophets, unjustly so, and they killed them, says. But the master patiently sent even more servants. Now, you've got to understand that God... <laughs> has a plan, and he's going to fulfill that plan in his time and in, in his own ways. And he greatly forbears with all manner of wickedness in the world and in his church. Now the church, uh, judgment begins in the household of God, but still God is, is extremely patient, and uh, he forbears. But that doesn't mean that you are to take God's forbearance as for his tolerance of sin. 
especially in his church. In fact, the, you might say that the more complacent, the, the more happy-go-lucky the church gets, the, the more passive and less effective the church becomes, the most self-centered and the most self-serving the church gets in the world, the more likely, my friends, that they are resembling these wicked tenants that, don't, that will never fulfill their call to be a light unto the nations, to be an exalted, holy nation, and a priestly nation uh, interceding for all. All right? That's what we see here. The master is, however, very patient. And he sends even more of these holy servants, or perhaps some of, some of the best of these servants were given at a time when Israel was the worst. Uh, you know, let me tell you, uh, a, great, a great minister does not always have a great congregation. Isaiah didn't have much of a congregation. Neither did, neither did Jeremiah. Unless you want to call some, you know, somebody to join him in a long, deep hole, a pit. Anybody that would join him there for a prayer, a prayer verse or a vigil. You know, that's Jeremiah. Some of the very best were reserved for the most egregious times and wicked times in Israel's history. And of course, the master being patient, he sent some more. Same outcome. Same outcome. Uh, they were beat, they were stoned, they were killed. Second Chronicles 36, uh, the very conclusion of the chronicle story. I'll read you what happens. This is the last sitting king uh, in Israel, uh, excuse me, in Judah. Israel was already gone off the map, uh, captured by the Assyrians. Here, here we read uh, Judah's last sitting king, Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, and who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people, likewise, were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Verse 15, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And that's where you get into the Babylonian captivity, 70 years of extreme hardship and shame, poverty, and that was the way it went. Jesus foretold God's exclusion or rejection of the Jewish nation in this parable because God, last of all, in this parable, sends his own son, his own son as the servant, his messenger, the, the prophet of Israel. And again, what's Jesus seeking? He starts off his ministry just the same as John the Baptist. He's seeking repentance. He's seeking obedience. Follow me. He's seeking faith uh, in his work and in his person, the, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Also, um, a prophet here is sent as a prophet, but, but Jesus the Son is distinguished in this parable as the heir. He is the heir, the king who will inherit all things from the Father. Eh, he's surely going to inherit this vineyard. It is his uh, just 
prerogative. The unjust tenants, of course, realized that this was their chance to, uh, to get rid of the heir, just had been successfully, successfully got rid of every other prophet. And now if they could just get rid of this one, then finally, finally, they would have the vineyard. Now you have to keep in mind that there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot being said here. I just, want to, I just want to say it in a gloss. In a gloss, Jesus is God's final word. Because in this prophet is, is contained all prophecy. Both the prophecy to be understood from, from Old Testament times and every single prophecy going forward is by the mouth of God's uh, truth in Christ, the last prophet. So he is the final word, the final word of God, the greatest and most complete and perfect revelation. And when it is inscripturated, it amounts to us, uh, the New Testament uh, in our Bibles. But this one, this prophet, this last heir, they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Now, this is prophetic. This is now prophetic material because Jesus is speaking of his own death. So Jesus asks then, and you, talk about, <laughs> you talk about an effective teacher. He puts a question uh, in the head of those that are listening. He puts this question so let them decide if they're exercised in discerning injustice, what will, what will God the Master do when he himself returns to this vineyard? Well, it's obvious, right? Yeah, he'll get rid of those wretches, and he'll give those vineyards, the vineyard over to somebody else. And that's exactly, and that was by the mouth of their, that was by the mouth of their leaders, which, again, in answering, they, paradoxically, they, they, also, uh, for, uh, they also prophesy. But God will appoint new leaders to watch over his vineyard. He, he will have. His word will not return to him void. He will have the fruit. Now the word not only blesses, my friends, the word also hardens. If you're listening to, to God's word and you don't receive it in love and, and store it in your heart and, and meditate and, and recall it and, and put that word into action and also believe in its promises and, and receive the comfort of that word, if you just ignore it, you are, you are not being improved by that word. The word doesn't work automatically. And the Spirit, I should say, with all the power that the Holy Spirit has, infinite power, He will not work independent of your will in these matters either. He will sanctify you, but you will comply with the Spirit in applying these things to your own heart. And this is the beauty of Jesus' uh, teaching method. He puts these words in the mind of their own people and they will say what will happen. God will justly kill the wicked tenants. God will replace them with other tenants who will yield fruit. That's the first point Jesus foretold God's uh, rejection of the Jewish nation in a parable. The second point of the sermon is this. That the scriptures also foretold. Jesus foretold the exclusion and the scriptures also foretold the Jewish nation's rejection of their Messiah. Now notably, in Psalm 118, we have, mag we have a magnificent psalm. Uh, this, this, all psalms are, are inspired. But this one, this one outshines many because there's just so much to it. The two very important sections here of this psalm. This psalm says in verses 25, oh, Psalm 118, uh, verses 25 and 26, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, prophetic, God declaring things uh, that have not happened as if they did happen. He sees the end from the beginning. He decrees it, and there can be no variance. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The tenant's rejection of the Son of God was prophesied. The leaders should have known this. They were stewards of the revelation of God. What had they been doing day and night? What, what, are, what are leaders to do? Elders and ministers, they are to be about the ministry of the word and prayer. And prayer is important if we are to be found faithful stewards, but because it, without really asking the Lord for his help and, and his light and his, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we are very prone to depart from the scripture. We are prone to misunderstand the scripture, but we press, trust and we plead with God in prayer to keep us, to keep us straight. The tenant's rejection of the Son of God was prophesied. The tenant should have known that. In the same psalm, uh, this popular cornerstone was welcomed in Jerusalem. And this is how we started chapter 21. We're in chapter 21 of Matthew. This is the way this chapter started. But again, in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, Hosanna, we pray. Save now, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. He comes in, he goes to the very house of the Lord. He cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple, drives away, uh, drives out the money changers and all that. It's, magnific it's a magnific magnificent prophecy. In hindsight, we see it, but it, it, it should have been foremost in the minds of the tenants when they saw these things occurring. Psalm 118 is not an insignificant psalm. Psalm 118 would have been sung on a very frequent basis among God's people. And so this is, this, is, this is another caution to us. We can open our mouths and let out a lot of words and songs, but if it's not from our heart, my brothers, that is to say, without our understanding, it, it scarcely will do you any good. You need to be preparing for worship. You need to be attentive in worship. And you need to be thinking later about what the Lord has given you, unless you don't really value what he says to you. But that's a very severe place to be in. The same psalm that prophesied his popular welcome in Jerusalem it predicts a rejection by the leaders, and yet something beautiful and even marvelous, says Psalm 118, marvelous in our eyes. It's the Lord's doing. The stone now becomes the cornerstone. The, the most valuable piece is, counted, is discounted, is trashed by Israel's leaders, but it is embraced and loved by those who know Jehovah truly. So this is a great, great check on our own faith and our own hearts. Do you love the Lord Jesus as one that is precious, that one that is to be looked at and examined over and over? His gospel is to be perennially in your mind and in your lips. You are to rehearse his kindness, rehearse his mercies. All that he is as the Son of God displaying the, the fullness of the Godhead in, in bodily form and the purity of his teaching. All of these things are to be on your minds continually so that you might adore the marvelous, marvelous Son of God and the, the amazing irony that has happened here in Israel's failure. But certainly God has not failed, and God will not fail, and God cannot fail. Both the rejection of the Messiah and the nation uh, of, of Messiah and his exaltation, that is the Lord's express will from ancient times. So that was, uh, that was that the scriptures foretold exactly the situation 
and the parable of the wicked tenants. Now, the third point is also about a foretelling. And here, Jesus is now giving us new prophecy that Jesus here, third point of the sermon, Jesus foretold the inclusion of the Gentiles under his exalted authority. Now, even if there were very few things, very few doctrines that a Christian needed to really understand uh, to see the truthfulness and the inspiration of the Scripture, this, this statement here alone would be sufficient to show that this is the true religion, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only true God, that he does not err, that his prophets are always on track, and that Jesus is Lord indeed. Because who would assume that a, a little band of 12 disciples and a, a prophet from as insignificant a city as Nazareth would be uh, uh, the head of an international or global entity that will last all ages and succeed? Especially when the most powerful parties of the Jews and of the Roman authorities were set against the Lord and against his Messiah. You've got to see this. You, 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 you know what it is to go to come across to go against adversity and have low odds. But what are the, what are the odds, really, realistically, that anybody would, would succeed in this kind of campaign without money, without armies, no sword, a kingdom? Jesus foretold the inclusion of the Gentiles under his no longer rejected, no longer trampled, no longer beat, no longer stoned, no longer killed but risen, and his exalted authority. That's the difference. Jesus foretold all of this. The kingdom would be taken from the Jews, and the kingdom will be given to the nations, or we call them the Gentiles. The Jesus, the Son of God, the heir, the cornerstone, would rule God's vineyards, his building, as the head and chief stone. And he can do this not only because he's the son of God in the spirit, but he's also the son of man in the flesh. And the vineyard now is in the hands of a man. The church is in the hands of a man. And he's not the man that's teaching and preaching to you right now. It's the man, the Lord Jesus. He's exalted over all. But he's the God-man. And so that's another reason why he, he will bring forth. We have new tenants. And under his headship, we have elders. And we have others that will shepherd the uh, the. Uh, the sheep in, in his spirit, in the spirit of Christ. No. So we see here that the, Jesus, the son of God, the heir of the cornerstone, would rule God's vineyard. His vineyard. And of course, there's a, there's a mixing here of metaphors. Suddenly it turns into a building metaphor. I, I don't know. The Bible has its taste. The English people have their taste. But call a vineyard, which is an agricultural uh, type of, uh, of arrangement. Now we have a building cornerstone. But he's the head of that stone. Now, He's a headstone of their building. Now, the, the son whom they killed would then necessarily not be terminated, right? Isn't that what this, this parallel was saying? They killed him, but in the scripture, he's, he's going to be exalted. So already here is a statement between the lines that this heir would rise again from the dead to rule. And that's exactly what, he's, what he did and what he's done. So Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him and, and then of his own resurrection. And he, he cheerfully uh, entered in all of the will of God. Now, all the people then will fear and reverence this stone. And this is a very important prophecy uh, because what Jesus is saying here uh, in, in these verses, and I'll, I'll point to uh, the verses again. Uh, 
starting in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So we've got two, two kinds of people here. We've got, uh, we've got those who, who, who fall on it. That is to say that Christ has become a stumbling block. A stumbling block is something you know, you've all experienced. This. I trust no one's been hurt by a stumbling block. You're, you're in a dark room. If you're asleep, you just got a bed. You're walk, walking down the highway. You don't see your dog because he's very black. It's very dark. And then you trip over your dog. The dog's become a stumbling block. He, he, he caused you to stumble. The people are blind. The Jewish nation is, is quite blind. They will fall at the presentation of their Messiah. They were expecting something else. Something perhaps that will bless their selfish little existence in the vineyard. No, but that is not what Jesus is all about. And they will fall as a result of Messiah. He will become an enigma, a point of contradiction, a point of real hatred and disappointment. But upon those whom it falls, uh, that's the other condition. The other condition is those not... Not who fall and stumble like the Jews, but if this stone comes and you are in your sin as an unbeliever and this stone should fall on you in judgment, you will be utterly not fallen, but pulverized. This is like a millstone that will grind you and you will be destroyed. Yes, we're, speak we're still speaking of the same meek, loving Jesus that rode into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. He's the king of peace. He's entering the city of peace, Jerusalem. And yet the scripture tells of destruction to all who will not receive the heir, the son of God. The scripture cannot be broken. Those upon whom it falls, those who hear and reject will be pulverized. Those in Israel who have heard and proved reprobate. This is no longer merely a falling because of Jesus stumbling over their Messiah this is a judgment for reprobates of all nations, not well, chiefly with the Jews, beginning with the Jews, but with all Jews. Those who turn aside from the gospel of grace, those who turn aside from the headship of Christ, from loving him sincerely, from following him from the heart, from obeying him cheerfully, joyfully, and freely, these will be pulverized. You see, my friends, God's kingdom will not, and it cannot fail. It's an everlasting kingdom. And today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your, in your very seeing, in your very hearing. All nations are included. All nations can call upon the name of the Lord. The gospel has reached all manner of men in, in, in far, far away corners of the earth. And the kingdom will have no end. Now, of course, this is to the dismay. What bad news. What bad news to hypocrites. What, what awful, awful dread upon the Jewish leaders who heard this parable. The tenants clearly understood this prophecy, that they would be condemned for their, not a, not a mishap, it wasn't the picadillo they fell into sin, no, a long, long infidelity and reprobate mind, a stiff-necked people who would not turn and conform to the ways of Jehovah. They understood this. And even true to the prophecy and sealing the verity of the prophecy, they, these leaders would, would turn 
against Jesus out of hatred and arranged for his death. They hated the prophecy, but in their hatred, they fulfilled the prophecy. That's what blind rage and sin will do. I, I, I will repeat again, you're your own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. Sin, if you don't mortify sin, sin will be mortifying you. You don't have any choice in here. And this is not bad news what I preach to you. I'm, this is written for our example. That the Lord remains just and he's not changed and he will have fruit of his vineyard. And Israel miserably failed. They said, well, no, no, but now we're, we're God's people. Yeah, but we're God's people and we've been engrafted to the, the, the domestic olive. And so if the, 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 the natural branches were lopped off and, and these alien branches, these foreign branches, the wild branches were grafted in, that's us. We've got to be careful and not be boastful. Because God remains who he is. And he wants the fruit of his investment, of his vineyard. Why did they, why, why were they kept from, from arresting Jesus? Fear of man. Fear of man is a, tra is a trap. It's cowardice. They will not bring it forward. They will not bring it to the light of true judgment. The Sanhedrin will meet in the middle of the night. It's all done in darkness. These are the sons of darkness, and they are cowards. Hell is populated by cowards. And it's the first sin that will bar anyone from the New Jerusalem. Outside are the dogs, and the first word is the effeminate, which in the Greek means cowards. Let me conclude this preaching. Unfaithful Israel had long been unfaithful and rebellious in ignoring and persecuting God's prophets. But now by rejecting Messiah, the Son of God, Israel would be cut off as God's people and the kingdom, the vineyard, would be given to the nations, the Gentiles, with Messiah as the head of that kingdom. And this, this will produce the fruit that God desires of his nation. All right, as I said, we are the Gentiles. We are grafted into the stock of the Jewish nation. We can rejoice because we are God's people. But as the psalm says, we are to rejoice with trembling. Let none be presumptuous, uh, lest we, uh, like Esau, profane our inheritance and choose worldliness. Uh, by the way, we have a sermon on worldliness and how to be prepared for the Lord's coming. As he's coming here to his kingdom and they were, they were not ready. John the Baptist gave them the signal. They did not believe John the Baptist. They were not ready. This evening's preaching by Elder Thomas will address the second coming of Christ. I, I plead with you. I'm not inviting you. I, I'm pleading that you spend time in the Lord's day in the, the, straight, the, 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 the greatest strength you can. And I think arguably for, for me, it's the Lord's ordinance of worship and the preaching of the word. Anyway, uh, leaders, elders are the new tenants. And so elders, again, I, I plead with you to know the scriptures and to know the scriptures well, to teach them truly and to rule well and justly, lovingly, patiently. Remember God's forbearance. Remember God's character. Anger is, is this, wrath is his strange work. And yet we must rule as he does in the vineyard. The goal of our ministry then should be apparent to all and kept before all, especially with the leaders. Sincere faith, genuine love to God, and to God's people. 
all by the grace of Christ, which he provides when we believe him and receive his spirit graciously. Church leaders must not fear obeying God's teaching, all of it. The commission is to teach all that, that the Lord had, uh, had commanded his, his disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, unto all nations. And that, that is the commissioning we have. We, we don't have any ministerial authority to omit one doctrine taught in Scripture, nor to add anything uh, to the essential truths of God. Church leaders must not fear uh, to obey God's teaching. They are to fear God, regardless of consequences. Regardless of consequences. The fear of man is a snare. The unrighteous will be caught in it, and he will trip, and he will be condemned. But my friends, praise God for the Lord Jesus, who is that wonderful stone, who in God's uh, uh, unalterable plan was rejected by his own people, but now and forevermore is exalted to the highest. He is at the right hand of God. That is to say, he is the, he is the executor of God's will and chief administrator overall, because, of course, he is man in that, in that capacity. But as God, of course, he rules as the Son, who is God divine. He rules over all. But that's what it means to be at the right hand of God. Uh, he is the one through whom all things uh, come from the, from the throne, from God himself, through Jesus, the right-hand man, to the world, the church and the world. And then all things from the world and the church come through the Lord Jesus and to God. He is the administrator, and he is the ruler, and he is the king over all things. So we can praise God for Jesus. These Jews did not understand him, by and large. The leaders did not. But you understand him, and you see the wonder that he is. And you marvel that such an angel, I mean a messenger, of course, such an angel should be treated with so much contempt, so much hatred, so much contradiction, so much unfairness, so much cruelty that breaks your heart. But God's ways are mysterious, and you do bow and say, that will be done. But it is your chief joy that truth has triumphed, that God has vindicated his son as heir and given him as heir of all things. Of all things. Because it was through Christ, the second son, I mean, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, it's through him that all things were made in the beginning. And all things will converge in him and be fulfilled in the person, through the person of the Lord Jesus. And so he is exalted already. He's ascended from the dead. The kingdom is Christ's. The kingdom is in good hands and will succeed. However many faults you see in Christ's church, Christ's bride, Christ's spouse, keep that in mind. That the Lord has his seed in this vineyard. The Lord is the tiller. The Lord is the one who waters. The Holy Spirit causes the growth. He will have fruit, regardless of the tares. He, he will have his produce. He will, he will smile upon his own children. He will delight over his people and dance over them with rejoicing and in love. My friends, that, that, that is a marvelous thing to behold. 
and it is the Lord's doing. Let's give him tribute. Lord, now we, we bow before you. Your ways are incomprehensible. If, if these things were not explained to us, we would certainly be in the dark. But no, we are your friends. As Abraham was, was told of your plan for Sodom and Gomorrah, you tell us your plans, your desires, your purpose for your vineyard. We pray, Lord, that we would trust you in all things, that we would rest in quiet peacefulness, for in quiet, quietness and confidence is all our strength. Grant us the ability, Lord, to rejoice always as we know that Christ is already victor and that he will prevail. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Let's have our offering, please.